0: Is Living Catholic with Father Don Wolf. Living Catholic is a fresh look at issues confronting each of us today. This show deals with living out the Catholic faith, what that means for Catholics, as well as the impact on the rest of society. You certainly don't have to be Catholic to enjoy this show. And now, your host, Father Don Wolf. Welcome, Oklahoma, to Living Catholic. I'm Father Don Wolf, pastor of Sacred Heart Parish and Blessed Stanley Rother Shrine in Oklahoma City. At the beginning of October, I got news that my middle brother had died unexpectedly. I was on vacation when I got the news, so of course I hurried back home as soon as I could in order to be with my family. There wasn't anything I really could do. He had died, and his body had been taken to the medical examiners, so we weren't, even, weren't able even to begin the funeral preparations until several days after I got back home. But it was unthinkable that I not be home, so I cut short my days away, and made my way back to Oklahoma. It was a hard time for everyone. I say all of this because the impact of his death on me and on my life, and it's an impact that I'd like to share with all of you. Actually, that's not quite right. I'd do anything other than to share such a thing with anyone if I had my choice. That is, I'd rather not say the words out loud that my brother died because I would prefer they not be true. All of us are still reeling from the fact that such a jarring reality, such an unbelievable set of facts could be jostled against one another. That there was a death, fact number one, and that it was my brother, fact number two. I'm still in shock. And I, when I repeat those two facts together, I do almost anything that they not be true, but they are true. And their being true has certainly made a difference to me. I'd like to describe that difference a little bit. I'm now 68 years old. My brother was 66, soon to be 67. This isn't an age in which death should be a stranger to us. In previous generations, to live to such an age was not unknown, but it was uncommon. When Social Security was first established in Bismarck's Germany, those who lived to 65 were a tiny, tiny percent of the population. Now, in our place and time, we passed this milestone, 65 years old, often with no more fanfare than when we turned 20. Neither of my grandfathers lived as long as my brother, and both of their fathers died much, much younger than that. I know when I was a child, hearing of someone who was approaching 70 seemed to indicate they were approaching decrepitude without much time left. And not so long ago, anyone of our ages would have been well-versed in saying goodbye to the ones in his generation. Not many would have gotten to celebrate so many birthdays. Death would have been a constant companion to them. But now it's not that way. The life expectancy has moved from 43 years old in 1889, when Social Security was first established in Europe, to more than 80 years old today. For more and more of us, the years pile up before we hardly notice. We all expect to live longer and longer. There have always been old people around. When statisticians begin throwing terms around like average age or life expectancy, people have in mind that there were no grandfathers alive in previous centuries. When someone says the life expectancy of a farmer in Germany in 1890 was 45 years, we imagine no one ever met a man who was 75. But the truth is, of course, there were always older people around, even though People, on average, died much younger. The difference in our time is that there are so many. On average, the number of older folks we see every day has continued to get larger because we expect to live longer and longer, which is why death continues to come as a surprise to us, even though we are definitely at the age when it should not be a stranger to us. In my grandparents' time, anyone who had lived as long as I would have known the death of many, many contemporaries and wouldn't be surprised to know of such things at all. We're still being ambushed by the reality of it all. I'm not complaining, just explaining. At my age, I should have been more aware of the hovering truth that surrounded my ancestors on every side. Because of this time in which we live, such things do come as a surprise to me. I suspect they always have, no matter what era. The last time I had lunch with my brother, we were joking at how much older we were becoming. I told him that when I turned 66, I joked with the people of the parish that if I had died in my sleep suddenly and unexpectedly, they would be surprised. But in talking about their shock, they would have said, well, he was 66. It's not an age in which death is unknown. The truth of our passing is inevitable and unavoidable. We probably shouldn't be taken too much by surprise by it. But the first thing I've learned is that it does come as a surprise. I was not ready for my brother to go. The last thing I imagined when I left on vacation was that I would end my time away with a phone call like the one I received. It simply had not entered my imagination. And this isn't simply because I don't have a sufficiently capacious ingenuity. It's because my focus wasn't turned in that direction. It had just never occurred to me to imagine such a thing would happen as it did. Of course, I've always known we would say goodbye to one another. My family is large enough that I've been going to funerals throughout my whole life from the time I was the tiniest child. And I've always known the time would come in which these gatherings would include us. As we've gotten older and the previous generations have slipped into memory or have disappeared behind the veil of a vast old age, the prospect of our deaths has niggled its way into my mind. But I just didn't imagine it would be this way. My brother's death came as a surprise to me. It's ironic. He was my middle brother. As an athlete his whole life, he was the one who took the best care of himself and who was the most attentive to exercise and good living. And yet it was he who died unexpectedly. I have a brother-in-law who's been sick and sickly for a quarter of a century, and he just turned 20. He just turned 75, nursing a series of debilitating conditions and some tough diagnoses he's still carrying on with his life. There's no rhyme to the variations and rhythms of life at all. It goes at its own pace and responds to its own conditions. Why one dies at one age while another perseveres throughout his long length of days, it appears we cannot say. I can only say that when I heard of my brother's death, it was a stunning shock to me. How could it it have been him? This surprise highlights another aspect of life I had not much paid attention to, and it is the sum of knowledge that my elders wanted to pass on to us when we were growing up. They told us over and over again that death was everywhere. It should always be surprised. It would always be surprising, and we should never be shocked at its imminence. I don't think these kinds of talking points are very common anymore, but they filled up my childhood. In fact, my mother and father talked about it constantly to us children. When they were trying to get us to take on the responsibilities of learning new things or working harder on our farm where we grew up, they would use this trump card. My father would say over and over again, what would you do if we weren't here to provide for you? It wasn't a threat they held over us. It was just a warning from them. Indeed, what would you do if you had to handle your life without us? That was their concern. My brothers and sisters and I heard their questions a hundred times. They were after us to learn, to be responsible, to take life seriously. After all, they knew life is fragile, both theirs and ours. It's so fragile, in fact, it has to be constantly cared for. And more than that, it has to be constantly prepared for. And in the course of my life, some of their advice was important. My mother died young at age 44, my father at age 51. So much of what they had to say came true. Life is fragile, and if we're not prepared, we'll find our unpreparedness to be a burden to us and to everyone. Their efforts to make us ready to pick up with the responsibilities of life were pretty successful. All of us got on with life, shouldering the burdens of adulthood, when we were hardly old enough to drive my younger sister was bearing the load of being a near full-time mother in the family when she was hardly 14 years old it's not like we walked around burdened by the gloomy prospect of the death of death at our doors but when it did come we'd been given a lifetime of lessons by our parents none of it came none of it came because we weren't prepared but it did come as a surprise to us none of us knew t- what to do exactly that was because no one knows what to do or how to act. It's not easy to pick up the pieces of a life and carry on, no matter what you've been doing or how much you've been getting ready. Each of us in the family had to find our way into a new kind of life when our parents died. Their preparation helped us to presume that we did have the capacity to embrace the adulthood, to embrace the adulthood that was looming at us. Even before we had come to the birthdays that prove it, that proved it, But all of us had to discover what our life was to become and how we would live it. We all found that even with the warnings we have been given, life without our parents was a life of discovery and a journey of surprise. But even in these intervening decades, I've forgotten their advice. Maybe it's because I didn't want to spend too much time embracing it. Or perhaps I just didn't want to color the picture of my life with all of the darkness of the unknown. But whatever the reason... I didn't learn the lesson my parents had been so eager to teach us when we were younger. I had banished it from my mind, at least as it applied to my brothers and sisters. I never did want to get ready to be surprised by them. In fact, had all, we had all become a bit inured to the prospect of being surprised by death. After all, unlike so many of our friends who didn't have to live through the tragedies of their parents' passing, We had already navigated these shoals and made our ways through such passages when we were young. We had already seen and done so much, we figured there wasn't that much new to see. And we were wrong. All of us should have spent more time paying attention to what our parents did tell us. Their admonitions didn't go out of style, even as they were less and less repeated. In the midst of my surprise, I've learned that their warnings were worth paying attention to we should be prepared every day to know the truth about dying. It can happen among us and among those we love at any time. This preparation is both on the spiritual level as well as in the pragmatic concerns we have. We should look at every day as if it might be our last. We should ask ourselves, what is the most important or the most pressing part of our lives from this perspective? If we were to die today, what is it that we should have done? Being now 68, that's no idle concern for me. If I imagine the great truth of life's end coming upon me today, what would I want to think about? And most especially, what would I not want to regret? Just as our ancestors told us, our preparations in life should be in anticipation of our death, for it is sure to come to us. We will end our days the sum of our life will pass before us in judgment, and we will come before the throne of our Creator. What will be our response? To whom will our life be directed? These are not just questions we're supposed to answer in catechism class. They're the heart of how to live. We ought to be able to be ready to answer them. In the revival movements taking place in the United States as part of the Great Awakening in the 19th century, the preachers often ask their listeners to consider their death. It was the same for much of the spirituality of the devotio moderna, in which every person was asked to remember the reality of death. What would a person do if this, in fact, were the last day? To be prepared is not a bad response. We should probably think about such things much more often than we do, in fact. Jesus asks us to consider the truth of life. If God has made us for himself and for the divine initiative, then what shall our lives consist of? Will we find in God's gift the truth of Jesus' gift? Will we even pause to consider the prospect of forgiveness and new life? To live in Christ isn't just for the last moment, it's for our whole lives. But we direct our last moments as we live our lives now. It's no great abuse of the imagination to consider the yawning reality of immortality that faces us. We should consider what we would like this moment to be like. The sum of our life's project should also be a preparation for the future. We should live our lives with the knowledge Mm. they will end. The plans we make and the prospects we entertain should have this perspective in mind. We will eventually leave this world. Whatever we want to leave behind, we should make preparations for. It's not ghoulish or foolish to spend some time preparing a will, or providing for our family, thinking of the church and making sure we want to contribute to, and, and making sure what, how we want to contribute and how to take care of the things we need to take care of. But even more so, we have only these days given to us. If we're given a project for our life, being prepared means we've made a pathway to complete it. A lot of people have their bucket list, those things they want to see and do before they die. And in their preparations, they imagine there'll come a moment in which they can start to work on that list, a time in which it becomes obvious and straightforward. They need to get busy with it. But it may not be so. We might not have a time in which the list comes to us. So we should always strive to complete the work of our lives in every way and at all times. After all, our bucket list need not simply be the whimsy of our lives to visit the Eiffel Tower or to gaze at the cathedral in Barcelona. That which we are to complete in our lives might be a letter to an estranged friend or the book we've always known we're supposed to write or to volunteer for that difficult ministry in the parish or whatever. The possible list might be endless. Our list should be what matters. Many years ago, Ann Landers used to ply her column with questions from people who were asking about how to make decisions for their future. Someone would write in and ask, Dear Ann Landers, I've always thought about quitting my job and going to medical school. I know it sounds like a crazy dream, but I know I could do it. But, you know, if I start now, by the time I finish, I'll be 45 years old in five years. What should I do? And her answer was always the same. She would write, if you don't go to medical school, how old will you be in five years? If death comes for us all and we have a work to do, when will we do it before death arrives? We shouldn't be surprised by the truth of life that our lives end, so we should prepare for it. Not only that, maybe our ancestors had it right when they talked to us about the rest of life, when they told us that we had to guard the honor of women or we had to tell the truth no matter what, or that a man's word is his bond, or that to take pride in what we do means we're proud of ourselves and of every man who does right, and all of the other aphorisms I was raised on. Maybe they knew what they were talking about. It could be the case they were onto something that we're surprised by these days. Being prepared for life going sideways is to be prepared for what can come next. The second thing I feel as I look at this hard truth is how vulnerable I feel. As I said, my brother was the one who took uh, the, the one of us, who took most seriously what's told to us about how to take care of ourselves. None of us know exactly the cascade of conditions that ultimately contributed to his death, whether they were environmental or genetic or self-imposed or mostly physical or mostly psychical, but they seem to be in contravention to what we've been told. He did everything right, and now he's dead. I'm hesitant to confess it, but I have more or less believe that if I did things right, I'd live a long time. It's too strong to suggest I'd entered a kind of soulful contract agreeing that if I did the careful things the medical people talk about and pay the right kind of attention to the right kind of things that I'd certainly live to an old age. But there's always been in my measure of life a notion that the probabilities tip in my favor if I would just go ahead and do those things the doctors talk about. To be confronted with the fact that such notional contracts are really void is to make me feel really defenseless because there are no guarantees. And if that's true, then what are we to do? Maybe there really is no connection to the good life and to what we've been led to believe as what's good for us. Not only am I vulnerable as a finite human being whose body and physical functioning are poorly understood and liable to unexpected and unexplainable failure, but it may also be the case that what I believe of the function of the world is as faulty as my idea of healthy eating is. The world is not only surprising, it seems to be pitiless and capricious. It rises up to takes what's good and to ruin what it is. what is orderly. Cruel mortality empties whatever kindness we have toward the unfolding of nature among us. It sours us on the prospect of the natural. I am a thoroughly 21st century man who has benefited from our de- domination of nature and the reversal of inevitabilities. But now I found that the power of nature to undo us, to blow things apart— Is undiminished. I am vulnerable. My whole life is defenseless in the face of such realities. It makes for some hard thinking. All is not tears, however. I have felt one aspect of my brother's passing creep into my thoughts over these last weeks. It's hard to talk about without misleading um, and without communicating what I really feel, but I do want to mention it because it is real and it matters to me. At the same time, I don't want you to get the wrong idea, so let me say it with a caveat. And what I want to say is that knowing my brother has gone before me into death makes the prospect of dying into something different. I can look at the prospect of my dying and find something there I haven't found before. We have to understand, all of us are part of living together. My brother has been part of my life for just about all of my life. As we grew up and our different interests and vocations took us to different places and commitments, we were apart from one another. Growing up, we did everything together. And until I went to college, we worked together continuously in every possible part of our lives. His family life changed the measure of our time together, but it didn't change our connection to one another. There was never a time we were at odds with one another or were disappointed or angry with each other. He was woven into the fabric of my life in just about every way. For all of the years he was alive, he was a part of what it meant to be me. I hope I had some measure of the same presence in his life, and he's gone from me now. In fact, he goes before me into the future that I will eventually share with him. Knowing that I can be a part of what he now knows and how he is now is comforting to me. In the last part of our prayers at funerals, we pray that we may take comfort in knowing that we will join our absent brothers in the fullness of God's kingdom. I've prayed that prayer a hundred times in the funerals that I've celebrated, but to know it's now true in a literal sense, and with this one who has been in my life for my whole life, is a relief. Death seems less scary now, more natural than before. I've seen the movies and heard the stories of those who die, seeing those who had gone before them. One of my classmates in seminary told of being on his grandfather's bedside when he was dying. And while he was there, his grandfather was having, having a conversation with someone called Timothy. It turned out that Timothy was his grandfather's brother who had died when they were boys. No one knows what such things really mean other than to know we do believe we are in communion with those who are part of our lives, even into death. I presume none of us can summon those who want to accompany us on this part of our journey. But it is a great comfort to me now to imagine my brother might be the one who would do such a thing for me. It makes death different. Over the years, I've I've heard older people tell me that they're ready to go. And one of the aspects of this readiness is that they know more people on the other side of life than on this side. And while I have many other brothers and sisters and I know nothing about the contours of the future, I've begun to feel something of what they describe. To know that the other side of life is populated by those who love you and whom you love is to know this ultimate homeland is where we belong. We may not get to the moment where we embrace its inevitability as it moves closer to us, but eventually it's what we work toward. My brother's death was a shock to me. I mostly still feel numb in the face of it. And putting together the jagged pieces of life left undamaged by his going from us is the work of years. But I have come to learn something of life from his death. I hope all of us might have the chance to know a little more about what our journey is as we contemplate the journey of those who have gone before us. We might even come to embrace the journey of Jesus himself who went before us just so that the life he promised us might be ours. As it says in the Eucharistic prayer for funerals, our sadness might in fact give way to the bright promise of immortality. May he rest in peace. Back in just a moment. Welcome back to our final segment, Faith in Verse. We have a poem today called October 2023. Who imagined it? There are time machines. Why, just today, I looked to see crowds marching and shouting. Their slogans and rhymes were from another age their fists raised and their voices piercing. They wanted to be heard, and in being heard, to push the world into action in the name of equal pain and all for retribution. Not their pain they shout about, but others, and not their burden they cry against, but that at a distance. And I wonder, as we travel back in time, will we end up at the same place as before, with the same silence over the scattered ashes? That's October 2023. All of us live with the inevitability that our lives come to their own end, and all of us are faced in our day and time with all of the challenges lie in front of us as we turn on our TV screens and we see the Almost unbelievable take place every day, which is the invitation always to remember what the source of our lives really is and what, uh, what we, what we are invited to do, which is to turn toward God in His goodness in the midst of our time and our lives. I hope that you can join us for the, uh, this turning toward the Lord in the weeks to come. Living Catholic is a production of Oklahoma Catholic Radio. To learn more, visit okcr.org.